The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and welcome to the Cambridge Film Show broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. As always, we are here to guide you through some of the latest film releases to grace the big and small screen. With five very different films on the agenda, I'm sure we have plenty to discuss. My name is Yossi Osman and with me today to talk all things film are Emma Marchant. Hi there. Henry Jordan. Hello. And Ashley Whitaker. Hello. We have lots to uncover over the next hour, starting with Disney Pixar's latest exploration of female adolescence turning red. On a similar colour hue, but wildly different in subject matter, we visit American comedy drama Red Rocket, before turning our attention to golfing glory, or not, in The Phantom of the Open. Sebastian Stan has unusual taste in dark comedy fresh before we save the future in family time travel adventure, The Adam Project. Plus, as talk winds down from last Sunday's BAFTAs and moves to the upcoming Oscars, we discuss some of our favourites up for awards glory. So, plenty to come, but to start, let's embrace the panda. To get to, to get to. Let's go. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 7, 365. I, never said no I know, it's a lot. But I don't got time to mess around. Oh, about the hustle, am I right? Poor town. This is gonna be the best year ever. And nothing's gonna get in my way. Breakfast is ready. Coming. That was the trailer for Turning Red, Disney and Pixar's latest. Directed by Do Rishi, this film introduces to 13-year-old Mei Li, voiced by Rosalie Chiang, the dorky but beautiful lead in a film exploring the chaos of adolescence. After a frightfully embarrassing encounter amongst her peers, Mei Li wakes up one morning to discuss to find that she can transform into a giant red panda when she gets into a state of strong emotion. Torn between her responsibilities to her family and the exuberant wonder of teenage life with her friends, Mei Li must go through the pressures of growing up while simultaneously learning to live with this new transformation. Emma, Turning Red is a coming-of-age tale, but in some ways it breaks away from the usual format or what we can come to expect. How did you find this and could you connect to the main characters? Uh, yes, I could, and I found it really very charming I, it, obviously during the trailer it says from the studio that brought you inside out as the other I would say key Pixar release that deals with sort of adolescent or pre, in that case maybe something more pre-adolescent female protagonists and their issues in this case you know you do they get over the sort of idea that maybe this is literally about physical puberty bang on in, 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 as soon as she does her mother comes rushing in with everything she might need for her first period but it's not about that it's about much more than that and I think it's when you find out that in fact, this because I think this is based in um, mythology as well. They did this idea that this that, you know turning into the panda is something that's been throughout her family, and it's something that they have this lunar month to be able to take the panda and bring it back into to, to keep so she can keep it sort of in an amulet or an earring or a hair clip to keep it contained within her, and it's then the idea of the fight, let's say, between the excitement of becoming a woman but also trying your best to be the dutiful daughter and I'm sure this is what's speaking to many people and it spoke spoke to me even at my grand old age it doesn't the idea of trying to be trying to please your parents I don't think ever leaves you and the idea that there's part of you that, that doesn't want to do that that wants to be a bit more out there and the part of you that wants to be the good daughter is a really and and that's beautifully done in this on top of which I love the fact it's set obviously I presume this is the director's own 
had less than time because she, she was born in 1989, so this is set in 2002, Toronto, which is where she grew up. So the attention to detail for an early noughties, the look, the feel, the music, done by Billie Eilish and her brother, is excellent. I like the look of the characters because May and her girlfriends are just as steady. Like you say, they're nerdy, but they're also just so cool. And it's about French and about this gang. Um, they have a great look. And the animation of the pandas is just spectacular. And when that when she turns into that panda, you do almost melt yourself when you see her. I couldn't help myself. Um, thanks. There's loads to unpack there. And you mentioned about when, when, how beautifully it's done when May turns into this big red panda. And a lot of people might be going into this seeing from the trailer, you know, it's it's quite humorous. The panda has some excellent animation. But as Emma mentioned, there's a lot more to this. And perhaps everybody watching it will have a little bit of a different experience to watching it. Um, Henry, I'll come to you next. How do you think she balances the kind of playful comedy and animation with some of the more touching, serious concepts around family and female friendship? I think the film's really well balanced. Um, It is, as soon as you learn what the concept of the film is, it is a very obvious metaphor, you know, growing up and, oh no, I'm turning into a monster and you know, all this horrible stuff is happening. This is essentially an animated version of Teen Wolf, but gender flipped and also, but good. Hopefully I'm not offending any Teen Wolf fans. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it really does kind of, because it's so wedded to our lead's perspective, we get all of the, like, the big tension of the film is basically, is she going to make it to a concert? And I think that is really refreshing. Um, It joins Encanto in this kind of new new kind of group of Disney films where there isn't much conflict. There isn't some big end-of-the-world threat coming or even some potential death coming for the characters. It's just this small little conflict that becomes the entire linchpin of the film and that therefore allows the filmmakers to really focus in and just get to the roots of these characters' emotional conflicts. It doesn't have much conflict, but it, it still has... I'm just wondering, I'm thinking towards the end, I'm not going to give anything away, but there are still these really big set pieces of action that you would come to expect from a Pixar film. Do you think that takes anything away? I think that's what Heron was saying about the the big concert at the end and older people might think, oh, that's a bit of a silly climax for a film. But for people May's age, that is the end of the world. That is the hugest thing going on in their life. And I... Maybe because I am too much older than the main character, I was just like, oh, I wasn't really wedded to this. I was like, dude, come on, like, get on with it. Nothing's that bad. But it did really marry up with other stuff I know about, um, like, anger management for younger kids. Like, there's a volcano inside me, there's a monster inside me, and that is a very clear, nice metaphor. Um, I was missing a bit of adult jokes in this. Like, Inside Out kept me along for the full hour and a half. This bored me a little, but it's not for me, is it? Is is it not for you, though? Because we're a similar age, and I think I took away perhaps a little bit more than you did. Yeah. But I really, for me, the thing that I really gelled with was what Emma was talking about, about wanting to please your parents and how we go through that. And there's a pivotal moment when you're a teenager where you want to break away from your kind of family duty. And I, mm-hmm. I personally thought that that was captured quite well in the film. I, I agree. It was at that point, I think, which comes probably about almost two thirds through the movie, where it does twist and and and, some, and more dramatic tension comes in, and the animation really goes bonkers. I mean, I I I loved that. I loved the last kind of set piece, but um, I think for, up, up until then, I perhaps was also guilty of being a tiny bit bored, and I won't lie, I. I managed to get one of my boys to watch it with me. The other two were not terribly interested. I don't know if this is going to speak to teenage boys in the same way that perhaps it does to girls or, they in fact, you'll see to women. I'm sorry, Henry. I keep looking at Henry because he's the only male in the room. So. <laughs> but it, and it's no... And for me, it was I, it was no soul, it's no soul or inside out in terms of the complexities that Pixar can... Some, Pixar historically has brought great imagina- imagination and, and amazing kind of intricacies and complexities and that is not this it is you know an allegory of a teenage girl who turns into a panda when she's feeling emotional but it's done with such charm and chutzpah and I think a real a a sense of of, a real sense of knowing from from the director as well this is obviously I feel something very personal she as far as I know it's her first feature length piece she did 
bow she did, which was the short between what before and the ones about the cute dumplings. Um, and I like I like the look of it a lot. I loved how their eyes, how the girls' eyes went anime, proper anime, like proper juicy Japanese anime. Every time they talked about their teen crushes or whatever, there are some really neat touches in it. And it's a zippy running time. It's a shame though, and I don't know why it hasn't had a cinema release. I don't know why Disney have decided to send this straight to Disney Plus. Uh, I think it would have done well. I, I think it would have, and I think I think it. I mean, the reviews are great. It seems to be doing quite well. I mean, to, speaking just a little bit about um, about she. This is this is her first uh, feature. It is the first Pixar film solely directed by a woman, and the second Ooh. the second to feature an Asian lead character after Up. I just wanted to bring a quick discussion around the kind of perspectives that that brings and how it is good to see this representation and the fact that, you know, without someone like she behind, you know, behind this, we wouldn't get some of the really great stories around female adolescence and around female friendships even that we're, that we're getting. From I can't believe it's 2022 and that's this is a fact. And when Henry said about Teen Wolf, how long ago was that? 80s. How many films like that do we have? And yeah, especially for girls as well, like you are married to your girlfriends in secondary school, like they are huge relationships and they are devastating and difficult and we just don't see them very often. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Up because in Up, although he's Asian American, I think, isn't he? The, yeah. the, the, it's it's this, the Boy Scout. And, but this is much more. This is front and centre a story about, you know, Cana- an, an, an Asian Canadian from the very beginning. And it is, like I said, based, I think, in some Asian mythology. And I think I love that. I, I, I think it is telling. I think it's great. I think it's great. Yes, it's great that we're talking about this. After Shang-Chi as well in the Marvel Universe. And obviously... You know, we have um, Nomadland's director winning things. This is this is a time. You know, it's, it seems to me a really exciting time for Asian cinema, and that's brilliant. Super. Ah, thank you very much. We have to move on because we've got lots to discuss today. But as Emma mentioned, Turning Red is available to view right from your very own sofa on Disney Plus, and it is a certificate PG. Next up, we are taking a trip to Texas with Red Rocket. Now, I'm not going to play a trailer for this one because it has some rather colourful language, but I will tell you a little bit about it. Simon Rex stars as conman and former adult film actor Mikey Sabre in Sean Baker's latest, Red Rocket. The washed-up American hustler, down on his luck, leaves LA to come back to his hometown of Texas City, in Texas, to live with his estranged wife and mother-in-law. Things seem to be looking up until he finds himself in the local donut store and meets a young sales assistant called Strawberry. Ashley, I'll come to to you on this one. Mm -hmm. Um, The writer-director, Sean Baker, he's actually known for previous works like The Florida Project and Tangerine. I'm not sure if you've seen either or both, perhaps, of those two films, but something about them is they all take quite a vibrant look at modern American life. What do you think Red Rocket adds to this? Or adds or kind of... Not gets worse because that's degrading. But so uh, Tangerine and the Florida Project show what is often talked about as an underbelly of a society. I'm like, well, this is just actually how most of the population live. It's it's huge swathes of people. It's normal life. Um, and it's seen as something out there and extra that we're looking at poorer people's lives. I really loved both of them for showcasing the happiness and the brilliant kind of moments in the, in lives like that and you can find relationships and there's hope red rocket is kind of it's super naughty it's, it's oh, one way of putting it it's they really make you adore that lead character who is an abhorrent human being and i'm very drawn to him <laughs> <laughs> but it's The brilliant thing is, what they do do brilliantly about this, they kind of leave the underbelly of society aside and they invite you to understand how we let this kind of thing happen, the rest of us, because this guy's very attractive, he's very charismatic, he's not held to account for any of his decisions. We're all just letting him, should we say, date? Or that's that's not what he's doing, taking advantage of this 17-year-old person um, having previously ravaged the lives of his ex-wife and her mum who've let him back in and we're just all letting it happen because he's kind of cute and funny. 
I mean, again, lots to lots to unpack there. I, I mean, let's let's get into this. I mean, we're going to have to talk about it. And I, I said to the to these guys before the show, I said we're going to have to talk about this. So, at the centre of Red Rocket is this relationship that's developing between Simon Rex's Mikey Saber and a seventeen-year-old girl mm-hmm. called who who is called Strawberry. And how does I mean this film? It, it's it's almost it's comedy it's vibrant but actually what we're seeing is really predatory behavior from Mikey Saber and I don't know how you all felt but I was uncomfortable watching this at times I honestly I, I agree wholeheartedly I think I can say this he is because I read an interview with Simon Rex because obviously Simon Rex himself is, is I think best known for like three scary movie films he's yes. but he is and incredibly, like Ashley said, he's an incredibly charismatic centre to this movie. He turns up with these unexplained bruises. He kind of rides this bike around. I mean, it's beautifully shot as well. I haven't seen Tangerine or Florida Project, but I love this kind of grainy look that Sean Baker brings to his films. And he makes the kind of oil refineries of Texas City almost look like some sort of beautiful backdrop. Wait, obviously it probably isn't really. But anyway, and he says in the interview, this is a film about something that they call a suitcase pimp. And this is the word in the adult in the adult film industry for a guy who basically is sort of still in the industry but with his wife or girlfriend. So what this is is a guy who has lost his job in the adult industry because Paul Walker died and he was starring as the (laughs) version in the Fast and the Furious adult movies. So that's wrecked his career. He's come back and he's trying to look for a way to get back in there and he he meets Strawberry and it is difficult because Strawberry herself almost seems complicit in it and she's almost of age and this is what makes it really uncomfortable to watch as a point where they you almost think they're having this really lovely romance and they appear to be going on this great date along the coast and you suddenly turn out and they're having intercourse on a you know in broad daylight in public it's really complicated but but I, I would say Henry that I think we're supposed to feel unsettled by this relationship and even through the charm of Simon Rex's performance and the hilarity of other things that are happening I think at this, at, we are meant to feel a little uncomfortable by what this relationship is. Yeah, completely. I think it, it, we don't have them so much anymore. Films where characters are presented to us and we're not necessarily supposed to, to like them. The fact that someone is the lead character doesn't mean they have to be kind of relatable or, or just like us. They can be a really terrible person. And as long as they are compelling to witness, which Mikey Saber completely is, then that makes for an interesting film. And I think coming out of that film with really conflicted feelings on a character is what keeps a film in your mind for months on end. Yeah, because Simon Rex inhabits the skin of this character like I, I was really, I was really impressed with that. It's a longish running time. All I would say is, and I, this is, is I'm just interested by the fact that all the quotes for it to sell it are like, what oh a great gosh. comedy. And it, yes. it's really being pushed as kind of almost, I wouldn't say heartwarming exactly, but I'm sure one of them said rambunctious comedy. And when you're watching it, like, well, this is not, this is a... It's Lolita 2022, that's <laughs> what it is. But he's, he's quite a pathetic character, isn't he? He's a terrible. He's, ter- he's an awful character, and actually, you know, there's there's a whole array of characters. It's not just about Mikey Saber. Obviously, we get to know Strawberry, um, but there are, you know, there's there's the ex-wife in this. We get a whole look at all these different people, and they all have their flaws. It's just that it's centered on this one. Yeah. rambunctious still, I guess but predatory character even if you're at desperate points in your life you can still base some of your decisions on morality if you cho- choose to do so if you're that kind of person Mikey Sabers never does that um, but the women around the film do try and do that where they're able to that's the difference between them I think yes so I mean despite with talking about the sort of problematic nature of some of the subject matter but I think we're leaning towards that this is still something worth watching. Oh, it's a fa- yeah, because it's, fanta- it's fantastic looking. I love those scenes where he's just driving around with his mate who takes him to, because he's such a loser, he can't even, he's such a loser, he hasn't got a car. I think when he says to Strawberry, I'm going to take you to LA, <laughs> he can't even, he's like, well, I'll get a taxi and turn up at your house or whatever. He's just so, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's just a brilliant what, what a- used car salesman, though, gift of the gab. Yeah. yeah. But 17 year old Strawberry always comes across as way more mature than he does. Oh, for sure. And it has the most incredible... I really like the ending as well. I really like the mm-hmm. ending because I have no idea what, you know, it, 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 
it isn't an easy ending. It isn't. A, it isn't an open and shut. It, it's a really, really interesting film, and I'm very excited to see both Tangerine and the Florida Project now. Neither of which I've seen, so I'm ready for those. I highly rate both of those, so I hope you really enjoy them. Okay, I think we are done on Red Rocket. Thank you very much. Um, Red Rocket is showing at the Arts Picture House and the Light Cinemas in Cambridge, and you won't be surprised by this, but it is a Certificate 18. On to our next film, and it is time to get the clubs ready as we talk about The Phantom of the Open. Aim for the stars, you know what I mean? Ah! Look for that. I didn't choose golf. It was more it chose me. It was destiny. Ah! Sorry! Flippin' neck. Where I come from, the only job was the shipyard. But I did have ambitions, of course. If you could do anything in the whole world, what would you do? Drink Guinness. <laughs> Pretty soon. My own dreams were put on hold. Stop this stupid dancing near the TV. It's not stupid. Because I had a family now. Oh, I I knew a young man once said he was going to be somebody. I promised champagne, caviar, diamonds. You should have married him. Then, well, everything changed. And he's done it. It just goes to show if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything you want to. I'm going to have a crack at the British Open. Golf. The British Open is the most respected... The multi-award winning actor Mark Rylance stars as unrelenting optimist Maurice Flitcroft in sentimental sports biopic The Phantom of the Open. Craig Roberts directs Flitcroft's notorious turn when he gains entry to the British Open Golf Championship in 1976. He's never played a round of golf before, so of course he shot the worst round in Open history, but became something of a folk hero for many. Henry I'm, I'm sure, I'm hoping the filmmakers would forgive me for saying there's something in this that's a little bit daft about this story of the defiant dreamer. But does that just add to the film's charm? Oh, that's entirely the point. This is a hero whose entire uh, brilliance and kind of inherent likability is the fact that he is so terrible at golf. There's a wonderful moment where he does say, he's asked, are you the worst golf player in the world? And he says, no, I'm just the worst in this tournament. And that's kind of the spirit of the film, that he's... You know, he is terrible, but he's trying his best and he is making it to these tournaments. And you kind of get that feeling from this film that it's just a film that is kind of trying its best and doing something odd, even though it is fitting into this fairly reliable and familiar format of a kind of uplifting British comedy. I I haven't seen this yet, but I'm getting vibes of something like, I don't know, Eddie the Eagle or some of these other kind of sports biopics that we've seen before. Is there anything new here that kind of breaks the formula? There's definitely what feels like attempts from it. And Craig Roberts has done a lot of great work and a lot of um, lovely independent films like Submarine. Um, And so I had a lot of faith in him going in. And there are these little moments of oddness. The opening credits, for example, are done almost theatrically with the sets moving in and out and the use of like deliberately artificial lighting. But I think the film only has that in flex. It's there in moments, and then as the film progresses, it just starts to lean back into that familiarity, which I think, especially with the Duke in cinemas at the moment, is tough because the Duke is very good at what it's aiming to do, and Phantom of the Open isn't quite, you know, it's it's under par. And of course, um, the script is, is adapted by Simon Farnaby, who is from his own book, but some people who are listening might know him from Horrible Histories, and he also co-wrote on uh, the excellent in my opinion Paddington 2 um, so he is a very humorous writer does he shine through here in the script um, I wasn't getting that I wish there were more laughs in it for me I'm I'm completely with you Gozzi I love the Paddington films and I grew up watching um, Simon on Horrible Histories but I just I, I needed more laughs I think the audience around me were quite enjoying it but there was something I think there's something odd about Mark Rylance's central performance that is holding me back from completely going with it a character in a story like this does need to be slightly off, but he's he's just doing his kind of thing that he's started to do recently where he, he uses a very quiet voice and he does a slightly strange accent and he has a couple of odd mannerisms and he just does that for the entire film for no real purpose. That's a shame because, I mean, 
a lot of this is sold because it's Mark Rylance. He is, you know, the figurehead for this film. And I'll give a shout out to Sally Hawkins as well, who plays Jean, his his wife. But nothing much more there, just a couple of odd performances. I think so. Sally Hawkins is actually excellent because she's Sally Hawkins and she can't <laughs> seem to put a foot wrong. But she's underused by the film. It is very much the Morris Flickroff show and not many other characters given a moment. There's his two breakdancing twin sons and there's his other son who's head of the yard and they all get their scene where they say, no, we don't believe in you, Dad. But I think most of our viewers may not be that surprised to hear that by the end they do believe in him a little more than they said they did. Uh, are, you, are you a fan of golf? Do you, do you know much about it? <laughs> I, I, no, the reason I ask is, do, I'm trying to get, do we have to be fans of golf maybe to get this a bit more or is it... it I mean, you don't normally with these kinds of films, but I'm just interested. I am not a golf fan, um, but I don't think you should need to be. This whole film is based around the fact that the golfing establishment at large doesn't like Morris and that he is a, a fawn in their side. And I think actually what this film should need to do is appeal to people who also don't particularly have that vested interest in golf. And the fact that it doesn't, you know, you don't need to know the minutia of golf. It explains birdie, par and bogey perfectly fine. Um, but I just think it needs to do something more. There was just, it was just lacking that something else for me. Okay, thank you. Well, if you want to make up your own mind, the Phantom of the Open has just opened and it's showing at the Arts Picture House. It is a certificate twelve A. Next up, it is time to talk about the film Fresh. The women in our parents' generation—they just—they were more into femininity. You know what I mean? Because mm. I think you would just look great in a dress. You but I mean, if you were pretty much done, actually, thank you. If it's cool, I'm just gonna snag these leftovers. I don't know how you do it, Molly. Do what? Dating people. No, no. You do not need a man, okay? So don't play the games. Just be you, straight out the gate. Do you live around here? Because I, I live on aisle six. That was terrible was kind of terrible. What's his Instagram? I want to stalk a little bit. Say what? Yeah. Oh, no. See, that's, that's shady. Let's play a game. Tell me something you don't want me to know. I hate this. Okay. <laughs> that was the trailer for Fresh, directed by Mimi Cave. Fresh is an American black comedy that explores the mo- horrors of modern dating through the eyes of character Noah, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones, who meets the alluring Steve, played by Sebastian Stan, after being frustrated with the failures of online dating apps. Suitably smitten, she jumps at the invitation to join him for a romantic getaway. But not everything is quite as it seems. Now, Emma, we saw this together and had quite the ride watching this. Um, we, we have to be careful talking about this because we don't want to give too much away for potential viewers. But I think it's fair to say that this is um, quite a dark comedic adventure for Mimi Cave and co. How did you enjoy something with a rather unsettling centre? Well, I'm going to say that it's actually really only been the last couple of years and since a lot of it doing this show that I've actually started to embrace my horror side. I used to be really creeped out by anything that would even be vaguely described as horror. But in this, one thing I will say, it's pretty audacious. You get, I would say, a full 25 minutes before the title comes up. So you get this full first 25 minutes, which is, like you say, poor old Noah on some terrible dates. Then there's a meet-cute in the supermarket with Sebastian Stan in the, in the you know, fresh produce aisle. <laughs> foreboding <laughs> to be had there and then and and, and then like you say it, it it takes this turn that if you've seen the trailer you are going to have some idea of, of where this is going but it perhaps goes to places that you wouldn't necessarily expect I think it was a really fun ride and I want to say as well I think it's a really brave choice for both Daisy Edgar Jones because this was her first kind of big role I guess since Normal People and also this might sound like a really pointless thing to say but her American accent is bang on and after having just sat through Benedict Cumberbatch and the Power of the Dog that is not necessarily the easiest thing to do as an English actor. That's actor. a period American accent. Oh, was it though? <laughs> um, so I, 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 big props to her for A making this quite audacious and brave choice coming off the you know because she could have made some I think she could have made a much more standard sort of period drama or whatever and also Sebastian Stan who I'm now realising oh. just A what a dreamboat he is and B just what an interesting just realize and exciting actor he is because Tom and I mean 
Tom and Pammy, which is currently streaming on Disney Plus, is not an amazing piece of television by any stretch of imagination. But he, with it. as Tommy Lee, is pretty. And he, as Steve, it's like American. It's like Christian Bale's American Psycho, but kind of on steroids. There's a lot of. There's a lot that's still going on in 2022 that was happening back then in the 80s and 90s. And there's a lot to be said about the world that we're living in and, you know, the rich eating the poor and that kind of thing. It's a really... It's it, it's gruesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a, there are some bits which are quite, like... <laughs> it requires some sucking of breath. And then, But there's also some classic... There's some classic horror tropes in there. There's... There's you know friends racing to find out what's going to happen to them. It, it, it's it, it's a fun it's a fun ride. At least I thought it was a fun ride. Henry, thinking about that, you know this is Mimi Cave's directorial debut, and Emma's talking about how audacious it is. And just thinking about the audacity of this film and its subject matter, um, how how do you think that Cave and Co pulled this off? Um, I I think I may be a slightly dissenting voice here. I'm not as crazy on fresh. I. I think I'm full of puns today. I'm sorry, but it it doesn't feel that fresh. This is like <laughs> this territory of of um, women and female relationships and their their sensuality being tied into this central concept, which we're steering clear of, is something that's been done before. It's been done actually by a lot of French female directors in the past few years and done really really well. And so I think coming into this, it's like, oh, okay, you aren't willing to go as far as as they are. I. Again, I'm kind of slightly opposed to Emma here. I feel like I could have had this film be gorier. <laughs> For me, it was lacking a certain edge. It was, I don't know, I wanted it I wanted it to take it further. I wanted to see more of this world that it only kind of teases. I think there's so much further they could have taken it, but in the end, it either should have been, yeah, more into this world or just cut the film down much more and just been a very tight focused film about Noah's experience. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because this is also streaming on Disney Plus. So I guess Which you can't I can't believe actually when you think so about the fact that. that Disney Plus is streaming this, perhaps why that's why they couldn't take it that bit further. I, I, you're right though, it's not I don't think it's not particularly scary. Mm. I wouldn't no. say. I didn't find it scary. I wasn't scared by this. But as a horror it's sort of trying to subvert the rom-com and I think you do need a bit of a thick skin to watch parts of this Ashley is there too much going on here you know it's got the element of comedy it's got the kind of more horrific elements how did this work for you I liked it as completely cross genre I think Henry's right though in that this doesn't go as far as this type of story normally does but we're bringing it to more and different kinds of people so there aren't very many people that would seek out uh, French films based around what <laughs> happens in this film but they would watch something like this on Disney Plus I really enjoyed the layers of the horror so we're not particularly gored out because I think we're used to slasher films now so it's not that scary I think we should be gored out by how much, how accepting all the women are of their fate I think that's the horror in this film that they're just chilling out where they're chilling out chatting to each other in the only way they can chat to each other and they're just like yep this is my life this guy's doing this to me cool let's go for it that was the horror for me and then the final bit where there's a three against one was horrific because I think they were about to lose that was a scary bit for me that was that's the horror. We just accept this kind of thing. Yeah, and the fact that rather than the actual kind of more visible horror, the fact that all this is happening, and you can—I actually could imagine this happening in the real world, I'm sure it does. and it probably does. And so, I'm not saying this is a huge social commentary because it probably because it isn't, but there is something a little bit terrifying about that behind all of this. Yeah, <laughs> yes, totally. And I was going to say as well, I don't think don't underestimate. The chemistry as well between our two leads. I do think Sebastian Stan and Daisy Edgar Jones bring a certain. Well, they, yeah, they, they they riff well off each other. And Mimi Cave puts them into certain very awkward scenes. But I think she there's a there's a bizarre scene where they're kind of dancing to some. Music. Yes, I mean Sebastian Stan himself is. Yeah, he did. You know, there's there's some kind of his character is is, is quite into good the creeps. Yeah. Sebastian Stan, and well, I like, still fancy him. <laughs> I still, I think he really, I think he did but, study some Christian Bale and American Psycho to watch this. And it's got that same kind of a placement of pop music and, and weird, it, it, yeah, it, I, just, I don't know. I, I, again, un, unlike Henry, I also haven't watched um, much French films. <laughs> so I, I just, I was, 
I was just there for like, it's not a modern classic, please don't no. get me wrong, but I did think I was I was there for it. And I think as a directorial debut, it's exciting. And, and yeah, quite pretty brave, pretty brave. It is brave. And there are some really great performances. I think, you know, Sebastian Stan really gets that whole thing right around being both incredibly charming and yet quite terrifying at the same time. Um, so although I think I said to you, Emma, after we watched it, it was a fun watch, but perhaps not one I would want to go run and watch again. Yeah, and perhaps I feel awkward about it being fun. In fact, it's not dissimilar to Red Rocket, though, is it? We're just, mm. we're just discussing things yes, with, like, point. abhorrent men that we're then. Unsettling dramas. That we're drawn to. Um, yeah, I, I, but I, 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 thought it, I, thought it had, I thought it had plenty to enjoying it plenty to plenty to recommend watching it particularly as it is available on a streaming service i don't know if i would have rushed to the cinema for it okay uh that is a great way to end it there so i'm not sure if we've sold it to you but if you do want to watch it it is currently showing on disney plus cannot believe that we are saying that to to be fair it is through star though it's through star rather than disney again unsurprisingly this film is a certificate a teen Our final stop on this film journey before we start talking all things awards season takes us on a time-travelling adventure with Ryan Reynolds. This is Netflix's The Adam Project. Can you make me slow down? There's no one even following us. Don't look back. Look up. Uh, I think we're about to have some company. Stop the car. What? What? Go, 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 reverse! Laura, this is... me. Hi. Parallel contact, babe? Well, you know, you've always said that you wished you'd met me earlier. Here I am. (laughs) Do you remember this? I mean, if this is happening to me, it already happened to you, right? Unless it works more like a multiverse where each triple creates an alternative. A multiverse. My God, we watched too many movies. So 2050, is it really bad? It's not great. Find him. Get ready to run. Last year, you may remember that one of our surprise hits was Sean Levy's video game adventure, Free Guy. Well, the director is back, and yes, he is working with Ryan Reynolds again in a mission to save the future in Netflix's The Adam Project. Reynolds stars as Adam Reed, a time-travelling fighter pilot who must team up with his 12-year-old self when he accidentally crash lands in the year 2022. Uh, Henry, I'll come to you on this one. Um, it's a fairly ambitious, quite high concept film. How does Levy pull this one off? Um, the last time I was on the show a month ago, I reviewed Moonfall and it was the worst film I'd seen all year. And <laughs> and now I'm back and now there's a worse film. <laughs> Great! I, I really hate this film. I have a feeling that um, everyone else here may be a little kinder to it, but I from the word go, could not get on with this film. I think I am quite tired of Ryan Reynolds' Reynolds' shtick, Um, him being smarmy guy who is, you know, oh, he's kind of, he's charming and he's funny, but he's also really good at action. Um, And the fact that that is then doubled up in this film with a 12-year-old self really doubled the annoyance for me. Um, I could not tell you what the plot of this film is. I think it's about um, a woman who is trying to kill time, maybe, not in a literal sense of, you know, waste waste two hours, which is what The Adam Project does. But it, it, it is a, a really frustrating film and I, I kind of don't really know where to start. It is terrible. It is so cheap looking. It is not funny. The action is bad. It is... Uh, I'm, I'm going to just pause now and let someone else take it. Don't worry. We got time. You can come back to us later. Em- Emma, I'm going to come to you next. Do you have such vitriol or...? It's interesting that um, Henry would use the word action because we were watching it. We were like, it's like an action film where there is literally no action because they have no budget for action. Nothing happens. In it. Like you said, it's so cheap. I don't. I mean, he must have just made it. They must have just made it because they had... Like, what, like a I worry it is expensive. Um, it's... 
there's a quote in Friends that we use an awful lot right now that Chris used to be in and she's like well I look at you but all I hear is blah 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 that was no, literally no, this no. The, the script for me I could not tell you a word of this script Catherine Keenan like you say is some kind of baddie I think they spent quite a lot of money digitally de-aging her you've got Zoe Saldana popping in, up in it a lot of the press has gone with the fact that it's Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner back together after 13 13 going on 30 which obviously is a wonderful film and they you know they, 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 I would never have a word to say against Jennifer Garner or Mark Ruffalo I'm actually not even that sick of Ryan Reynolds I can even live with him but my goodness this film is just a boring mess it makes no sense it makes no time travel sense I probably imagine if you pick that apart it would make no quantum physics sense whatsoever and you're not even having a good time while you're watching it the kid is meant to be really kind of bratty and mean to his mother and he's not he seems like the sweetest 12 year old in the entire world I can't I, I just it, no, it, it, I'm with Henry. It, this is awful. Okay, awful. two out of three on, on, on the not liking this. Ashley, I'll come to you. I mean, I think I know the answer to this question because we've, we've basically covered it. But thinking about you know, sci-fi, time travel... We got we get a lot on that, and this kind of genre has been covered so many times. And there's a way of doing it that helps people understand what a plot is. And you kind of people will unpick the time travel aspect because that's just that's just natural. Mm-hmm. I'm taking it from what Henry and Emma are saying that this doesn't go very well in this film. But what's your take well, on that? I'm not bothered in films because I understand what artistic license is, whether the science actually adds up. But in this, it's the plot, again, that doesn't add up. And I finished this film half an hour before coming on air, and I too cannot recall the plot. (laughs) So that's a problem for me. Um, The Ryan Reynolds shtick thing is what's shticked in my head, and I, I wonder... He must write a chunk of his own script or be allowed to ad lib most of it or it's just his natural cadence overrides whoever's writing for him because it's the same thing over and over and over again. Mark Ruffalo is a wonderful actor who I adore, way too earnest and intense to fit into a film like this. Jennifer Garner, all she does now is play slightly harassed but very, very cutesy, sweet buddy mum. That's all she does. Zoe Saldana, why is she only in it for like three seconds? I don't know what it's what it was for, where they got the money, how they how this got financed, who they think is going to go and watch this. Did this... No, this is Netflix, isn't it? This yeah. is bad even for a straight-to-Netflix release. And it's, written, it's co-written by four people, apparently. Two of them oh, write for surprising. Big Mouth. Now, oh, Big, what? Exactly. So I'm also <laughs> extremely disappointed now because Big Mouth is wonderful. It's, it's wonderful the finest TV television. It's inexplicable, Yossi. Have you seen it? I've seen, seen it. Yeah, what? And? Oh, I bet she likes it. She's I didn't so like nice. it, actually. Oh. Well, I, I, I was trying to be the impartial host, but I can't help myself because I, I, I too did not really understand the plot at all. I thought it was quite pointless. Um, Mark Ruffalo, they saved him until a good, I think, hour or so into the film, and I, and I can, I can see why they did that. Um, he is, he was just, he was like a warm, like he was brilliant in this. I thought personally, and everyone else just kind of because fluttered he was around. Bruce Banner, but he was basically being well, Bruce Banner, yes, was he not? I know. Let, I mean, <laughs> so that was fine. There, there's a lot around this on on family. You know, it's, it's perhaps trying to be a bit of a family adventure, and it's got okay. No. Oh, uh, but let's talk about it. Let, let's try. Um, you know, the kind of relationships amongst the family and then you've got the aspect of he's going back to his 12-year-old self and seeing what he was like as a kid and whether he should change that. Is there not even just a nugget of gold somewhere there, Henry? The the most charitable thing I could say about this film is that it's some sort of take on the concept of nostalgia cycles and how every 30 years we end up revisiting the past because... Ryan Reynolds, the adult, comes back from 2050 into 2022. And so it's like, oh, this is a reflection on on that because Sean Levy, as well as, you know, being known for his directing, is famous for producing Stranger Things, which itself is a product of our insatiable appetite for these nostalgia cycles. And yeah, I think that is the best thing you can say about The Adam Project is that it is maybe, perhaps, if we really want to be nice, which we don't, a look at nostalgia cycles and the way that they create these, I don't know, these self-eating narratives that don't really make any sense or add anything to the world. Um, and that's 
that that's my praise for the Adam Project. Yeah, because I read reviews that were like, this is Sean Levy, you know, there's like the, the heartbeat of E.T. and it's Back to the Future. And none, what? honestly, just watch any of those films again. No. And you talk about family. Can I just say how annoyed I was by the fact that once again, this family are living in this incredible kind of eco, house. beautiful, like the most beautiful <laughs> kind of Scandi star woodland house, so eco-friendly. On one income. And yet, well, and Jennifer Garner is then like looking through the bills that she hasn't paid. And we were both like, that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. So I'm, that annoyed that that did, that really annoyed me. I just wanted to make that really asking clear. for nuggets, Yossi. The problem is there are they attempt too many nuggets. There's okay. A little bit of this, little bit of that. Blip, 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 it's and just nothing ties together. The dog was cute. The dog was cute. <laughs> it is just a shame because I, I really enjoyed Free Guy when I saw that last week, and I thought that was vibrant and exciting. And I just can't believe it's Maybe the same. Have I, left over I think I think it just goes to show that you know because Free Guy was you, Free Guy was tightly scripted and had a and had a very and had a very understandable and linear plot this just was an enormous mess and i had no idea what was going on i mean there's something around netflix i'll do this is my final question around the netflix picks the the straight to netflix films that we're seeing and often a few i feel like the last few i've watched have all been quite terrible and but people still will watch them in their droves and people will still watch this film they'll still watch yeah, the adam project despite the, money, the reviews and they can make one good film for every four rabbits. but how films. much can netflix get away with this putting forward Perpetually. i don't know when they're making extraction too i don't even remember extraction but that was the one that came out way back at the beginning of lockdown which is the chris hemsworth vehicle is that not which amazon was... No, that was it. Was Netflix, really? and it was launched for when Netflix was going into India. So it was all because it, it's all filmed in India. So, 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 so it was really aiming for both for, for a multicultural audience that way. And they are making Extraction too, even though Extraction was just not a very good film. Well, they I don't do that forever. You'll see. <laughs> so forever and ever, we can just expect these subpar <laughs> films. All right. Well, I didn't eat. I, I, I was not. <laughs> was not very impartial there. Um, but. We've just talked about the Adam Project. If it's one that you want to watch right at home, even after those uh, reviews, it. it is a Certificate 12 and it's right there on Netflix. Now, moving on, last Sunday we saw the BAFTAs happen and uh, lots of awards chat. We've got the Oscars coming on the 27th of March and let's just have a little chat about the BAFTAs. Now, obviously, the, the winner for Best Picture was Power of the Dog and director for Jane Campion. It looks like it's probably going that way for the Oscars as well. Now, I think, Emma, was it you that I talked to about Power of the Dog on the show and you weren't quite so big a fan? I thought, do you know what we were talking a little bit I saw before we came in? We said how ridiculous it was. It won Best Actor, it, sorry, it won Best... Um, but I'm a best director and best picture, but didn't win a single acting nod. Whereas I actually do think Jesse Plemons, I think Jesse Plemons possibly over Cody Smith, but Fee for love Jesse I do have issue with, with Benedict Cumberbatch, but he did do a very charming speech. But how ridiculous it not to win best cinematography when, because it, what what is a film if it's not about cinematography and performance? Didn't even win best adapted screenplay, I don't think either. No. So no. There's a lot, there's a lot of things that they get, it felt like the BAFTAs wanted to share it out amongst a coterie of people because I sometimes think the BAFTAs can be deliberately obtuse because they're trying to make themselves a little more relevant in the awards season if you like I mean there was a lot of comment about how a lot of uh, nominees didn't bother turning up obviously it did clash, clash with the Critics' Choice Awards but you didn't get Leonardo DiCaprio for example and I, have a, I suspect they nominated Leonardo DiCaprio for Don't Look Up purely on the hope that he would actually come and lend some Hollywood razzle-dazzle to it but I... I like The Power of Dog and I think it will win Best Picture in a fairly, what for me is a fairly weak year. I'm not going to lie and I think probably people are going to feel different about that. But my God, if it beats Belfast, I'll be a happy woman. Well, I was going to say, I think I was expecting to see a few more wins for Belfast personally. Um, but <laughs> Henry, do you agree with that? Thank goodness we didn't. Uh, yeah, I am also, you know, we, we could do a whole hour long thing about Belfast and it it's not goodness. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think I it's... watched 30 minutes of it the other day I made it that far oh well done congratulations <laughs> I think it still probably stands a chance at the Oscars because of the way that the preferential voting system works for best picture but I do think it's going to be out of most of the major runnings I think Jane Campion is still probably looking strong for best director um, yeah I think with the BAFTAs overall I almost disagree with Emma that I like the obtuseness mm -hmm. um, there were two nominations for Tatar here there was a nomination for Patima Man, which hasn't happened at any other major awards ceremony even the Cesars and you know 
inevitably they weren't going to win. But the fact that they were there gave me some hope that, you know, these fun, weird, out there films stood a chance. And the fact that Joanna Scanlon I was going to say. It's mm. a big shock, shock and that perhaps is... She's I not did... even nominated at the Oscars. Exactly. Well, it was an inspired choice, but this is the first year in, in a while, I think, or maybe ever, I, I haven't quite done my research, but that there is no crossover between the leading actress nominations at the BAFTAs and at the Oscars. So actually, the race is kind of wide open for the Oscars and I'm not sure who's going to win. I mean, I think potentially they might give it to Kidman for being the Ricardos, but I mean, who knows? What do you think? Henry thinks this. I'm going cruise. I think it's going to be Penelope Cruz. Parallel Mothers. I think for Parallel Mm. Mothers. I think she is someone who has put in a lot of work. She's of an age. It'll be a glorious photo opportunity because Javier Bardem's also up for an Oscar so they can come together. And I feel like Kidman just got a street nomination. I just feel like they nominate (sighs) Kidman every year because they they feel like they should do. I think Ariana DeBose is a lock-in for supporting actress for West Side Story because she must use one, the SAG and the BAFTA. And it is a real highlight in what was one of my films of the year. I think West Side Story was... And I'm really sad that West Side Story didn't win more at the BAFTAs, actually, because it's such a beautiful film. She is She is definitely a lock. Um, looking at leading actor, I mean, I, I didn't think this at the beginning of the year, but Will Smith won at the BAFTAs last Sunday, and it's looking now that he is pretty much set for the Oscar, whereas I think a lot of people initially would have given it to Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he'll be packing his speech away, sadly. But he's so charming, he won't mind. He's, you know, he's Benedict Cumberbatch. Man's got manners. And what do we think about the supporting actor for Coda, who again seems to be Troy Kotzler, who seems to be again really gathered. And Coda, in fact, maybe I'm is gathering all these Coda's getting a lot of love. Coda's and I was going to ask about that because I think the adapted screenplay win for Coda was a little bit of a surprise for some yeah. people. I, I do think Katzler is, is, I wouldn't, I, mean, I think he could go the whole way and, and get the Oscar too, but it's good to see some love for Coda. I don't Coda know who's seen may, it in the group. Coda may even be a surprise winner, maybe. Mm. Ooh. No. Come on, Ash, tell us what you think. <laughs> Ash never gets this wrong. She's always right. I always, I've, 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 well, well, this is the first year I've not put my money down yet because you were saying it's kind of a smaller year. It's a wide open year, I think, because we have smaller films. When We're not packed full of blockbusters because of what's been happening to the to cinema for the last two years so I really can't call it either way and there's lots of films I'm loving here like the things feel more indie things feel more abstract it's not the usual fare you see nominated at the Oscars so I don't know which way they'll go I can't call anything I, I don't think but with power power of the dog what? June's not going to get anything at the Oscars. They don't like big sci-fi It'll action. It'll get every technical. technical every yeah. single one. Belfast is way up there because he'll pay for it and he's got the name and the clout. Licorice Pizza won't get anywhere and it should. Don't Look Up better not be anywhere near the Oscars. <laughs> what about Nightmare Alley? You loved Nightmare Alley, didn't you? I love Nightmare Alley. I think Alley, that's but really out there. It's, I yeah. think the nomination is So extreme. bleak, yeah. It's, it's not going to do anything. I can't remember, but Licorice Pizza got original... Sc- Screenplay yeah. at the BAFTAs is that not one a lock for them at the Oscars too? I, I don't I don't see it winning very much. Often the screenplay category seems to be a place where films that are not going to get best picture get, get a little yeah, award. Yeah, we, we can't give you best director. Yeah. We can't give you best picture here. Here's we really like UPTA. Yeah. Take this award. Yeah, yeah. I would be so happy if West Side Story won best picture. It won't do. It's not. But gonna. it was for me. For me, in terms of technical, it was my best picture. Perfect. I love West Side Story, so I would adore Depends to see what that happen. What do you mean by best picture? Hey, because aren't they putting a new category in for most popular or something? <laughs> yes. So, what film did people actually want I to go and see, and what did Cinderella they actually like? Is, uh, is what the vote. is winning? Yeah. <laughs> what? And then, Cinder- what did the very narrow voting panel decide was the best film of the year? Based, yeah. I know, but if Cinderella gets the popular vote, I mean, I don't know if you've seen that one. Which oh, Cinderella are we The one with Camille Cabello oh and God, Billy Porter. Stop it. Oh, no. <laughs> Stop it. What is the world coming to? <laughs> okay, so I don't think that's going to win Best Picture, but it might get the popular vote. However, um, I personally think it's still going to go to The Power of the Dog. So let's have your final bets on Best Picture. Belfast. Power of the Dog. Belfast. Belfast. All right, so two for Power of the Dog, two for Belfast. We will see. That is it. Another hour has flown on. Bye. Thank you very much for this 
rather quite delightful chat. I thoroughly enjoyed it today. We are back on the 2nd of April, where we will be talking about popular Norwegian comedy drama, The Worst Person in the World. Investigate the line between hero and villain in Marvel latest Morbius and head back to Green Hills with Sonic, Tails and Co. in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. That should be a fun one. But for now, we're going to play you out with Cool and the Gang's Fresh, of course, because what else after our show today? See you on April 2nd. Cambridge 105 Radio.